Hello everybody, welcome back to the podcast and welcome back to YouTube, a pleasure to see you all. I'm here to continue talking about the book, The Tragedy of Islam, Admissions of a Muslim Imam. And as those of you who have followed me for a little while have probably gathered, I tend not to be talking about the subject that we're talking about. I mean that that is more of an expression of something way deeper. And in in similar vein as, say, Game of Thrones, or the Old Testament, or Greek mythology, there is a consistent, abstract set of consequences, principles, morals, narrative stories, sorry, or, or morals, sorry, that are expressed via certain narratives. And it seems to be the humans play out the same type of... The same type of narrative, yeah, really. And it's a tragedy and it keeps happening, but the funny part about it is that each player has their own story running in their head. And so what I look at is, what is the greater story? And in fact, each of these sub-stories that are running in people's heads are like chapters, but they it only works because each character believes in the story that's running in their head. That's what makes it so interesting and what creates the actual major story. Uh, in 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 total so one example is someone once said to me it's amazing how those people just believe in a man whereas we believe in god and the funny thing about that statement is that it doesn't even matter if the person who said that to me was of one religion or another because you could say that and apply that to almost any of, of the major religions, at least the Abrahamic ones. But the idea of thinking that someone else is wrong, and I feel sorry for them, but we're the correct ones, and the reasons that we're correct are finally the exact same reasons that someone might say that they're correct, is something that I find increasingly pervasive uh, throughout uh, literature the more I look at history. As, as you guys know, we did a while back the study of the Romans, the study of the Greeks, the the study of the Persians, uh, the rise of the Arabic influence, and then the subsequent fractionations which happen, and then people outside that whole archipelago, whatever whichever archipelago it is, thinking uh, or, or judging the whole archipelago by the worst elements of a subset of that archipelago it happens all the time. We know that, for example, the majority of uh, terrorism comes from a certain subset of one particular faith at the moment in, in history. But then people judge the whole faith, even though it's not the whole faith that does that. But then some people will go and look at certain tenets, certain quotes, certain verses and say, therefore, by these, we now judge the whole thing. And the same happens in reverse. People say, some people argue like the Ahmadiyyin, which you'll notice from this book, that Jesus, because of his love of alcohol and prostitutes, which is some, some And I'm not saying that this is true, by the way. These aren't my beliefs. I don't work on belief. I'm more of a studier of human beings, I guess, to try and understand them a bit more. I sort of feel like an alien most of the time. But the study of those leads me to find some interesting traits that people share, irrespective of their language, their culture, etc. And that's what, funnily enough, makes them the same, as opposed to being thinking that, you know, 
each person within that group will think that people outside their group are, are different to them or they don't understand or they're less intelligent or they just have it wrong. So as I was saying about the Ahmadiyyin is that because of their perceived, I should have said perceived, uh, perceived version of Jesus, whether Jesus is real or not, each person is going to have their own opinion, of course. That's not for me to judge. But their perception, and not even all of them, but uh, at least the leader, leader's perception was that Jesus was an alcoholic who spent a lot of time with prostitutes. And it doesn't actually matter whether that's true or not, because what that person then says, or that leader did say, was that as a consequence, that type of, that's why Christianity destroyed Europe, and that's why Europe is full of alcoholics and prostitution. And if you don't believe that, you're going to be either inflamed or find that ridiculous or absurd or think something very different to all of that which is what I think, which is that it's very, it's a natural tendency for humans to fall into something called correlation. So it's easy to notice that because the West has much, it's, it's, it's much more um, open, let's just say in general, then not only the positives are observable, but so are the negatives. And so you can easily take the negatives of the West and then attribute that to some story somewhere where, yes, it's true that, you know, whether you like it or not, Jesus did spend time with um, people that, you know, let's say some people who were sex workers and some who drank a lot of wine and all of these type of things. But then depending on your version, you'll say, yeah, but he spent time with them because they're the ones who needed the help. Right. So, so. Once again, I'm not here to take any side. My my point is for the minority of us who, who see the world this way, is that you can take observations and create the narrative that you want. And that's those different narratives, what I just did there, the stuff that you find in this book. This book talks about many different narratives and how many different people can see that what could happen in the Islamic world and different versions of how different believers see things differently and how each subset might think that the other subsets are not actually true believers which of course we saw in Christianity as well and that's something very core to us as humans this idea that if you um, allow your mind to be comfortable with a certain structure and that structure or narrative or story is non-negotiable, then the natural consequence of that is that you will have others who say, well, you're just wrong and my version is the correct one. And the only way to break free from that is to not leave one specific faith on its own because that way you are still falling into the trap of ideological possession and, and it, it just can happen without an organized religion. You might be someone who has a certain belief about your country going to the dogs or your president being someone who's evil or your president who loves you, whatever it is, whatever story it is, when, when you reach a point where you're convinced that it has to be true, because look at all this evidence, right? and, and, and people will do this all the time, and I'll continue to do this. Look at all the evidence. I've seen this happen now way too many times to accept that this doesn't happen. I think it happens way more than human beings realize. 
look at all the evidence that's consistent with my story, so therefore mine is true, and the other one can't be true because look at all the negatives in that one. So reading this book was depressing, I have to say, but it's, it's real, it hits you. It doesn't matter if it is the complete truth because it's almost certainly not. Um, the fact that so many people who are happen to be Islamic leaders or followers of Islam will reject Imam Tawhidi and he at the same time considered himself a true Muslim and he has studied Islam his whole life or mostly or claims to have and has made an unbelievable amount of references in his book shows that at least he takes himself seriously and has at least much more knowledge uh, than I do. Whether or not he's correct or not, I, I obviously don't think that there is a way that humans could ever know, but that's more of the scientific look at life, or what I call the successful way of looking at life. Um, but it's 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 Games of Thrones, and, and it's Game of Thrones, and it's very sad to see how real uh, our human history is of murder and depression and rape and pillaging and fractionations and um, mutual excommunications of, of each other. We're more sympathetic to our own history, even our own histories are just as bloody, if not bloodier. So it's a good exercise to look into another part of human history, to see something that's quite analogous, and yet you're less tolerant. You might be naturally less tolerant of it, some people listening, because it's not part of your direct history. Um, even though I would say it is, but Muhammad's daughter was murdered as well as an unborn child. And Dr. Tawhidi or Imam Tawhidi attributes this crime to uh, the caliphs that succeeded Muhammad the Prophet, who to whom they refer to or they describe as alayhi salam, and or they place that adjective upon him, which is a peace be upon him, that's what it means. Uh, oh, my neck's killing me at this angle. The many, many different Muslims, of course, disagree on who the true leaders were following the death of their prophet Muhammad or following what some people call his murder or poisoning. And that disagreement has turned into tribalism. You can see it happen today in America. People disagree on who the legitimate president is or should be. And yet many people, whether they love or hate the president, are acting in the exact same way as uh, the history of uh, Islam. There's not much of a difference, actually, in that respect. Fatima's inheritance, according to Doctor here, was in, was uh, stolen, and the her murder was by according. Well, according to her refusal to pledge allegiance to Abu Bakr, who has been deemed as by Dr. Tahidi as someone who was illegitimately an illegitimate leader or successor of the Prophet Muhammad. And we know that this similar things happened in the Catholic Church. Of course, the difference is in Europe that uh, Trinitarian Christianity was ultimately successful before it itself fractionated in uh, in the well, initially in the East-West schism, followed by the papal schisms, but 
I think the East West Schism was ten East Schism was ten fifty four, which was the same time as the explosion of the Crab Nebula, or the supernova over there. Uh, there were Islamic scholars who apparently covered up the violence. Once again, it doesn't matter if this is actually true or not, uh, because it comes back to saying, did, did Hitler think he was a bad guy? It's one of those things. Or did Hitler believe he was doing the right thing? And if he was successful, would history be telling us that he did do the right thing by getting rid of the evil cult or whatever it was, that, however they described um, our Jewish brothers and sisters. We don't know. We don't know. And that's... History is full of Hitler types who have actually won. Uh, and when I say Hitler types, I mean mass murderers who acted as if they were doing it for the greater good. Or maybe for the sake of killing itself. I'm not actually sure. You look at Alexander the Great. He's referred to in Persia as Alexander the Cursed. Which one is correct? Well, it depends on which history you read. He then goes through some scientific analysis here, Imam Tawhidi, um, displaying what he thinks are confessions of the crime, regrets of the killers, the hidden grave, the post-burial conflict. And that's just one chapter. It's very, very distressing. The next is, of course, the second son of Fatima, the daughter, who, who of course, as I said, was the daughter of the Prophet. And he was uh, murdered by someone called Yazid, maybe not directly, but Yazid was the sixth Khalif. And Hussein was apparently a lover of peace, a believer in Jesus as an extremely prominent figure, like many Muslims, but took on much more of the peaceful aspects, apparently, and refused to conflate church and state. And that was one of the reasons, once again, this is one version of history, this is, it sounds more like a Shia sympathetic version. But once it doesn't actually matter, as I said, you can swap Hussein, and who was innocently murdered, and put in Jesus, who was innocently murdered, and it's the idea of someone being innocently murdered, or people believing that someone was innocently murdered by the state, and who also wanted to separate religion and politics, um, and that abstract story is now manifesting in this particular case, as I said before. Okay, there's something about humans rallying behind someone they believe to be innocent who has been unfairly targeted. And you get something like a martyr, like Stephen, the first martyr of the, of the Christian um, faith. You have uh, Hussein being the first main martyr of the Shia faith. Uh, now, we have here that there was then after that a massacre by what... Many Shia refer to as the fake Muslims, of course, but the, you know, but of course, other people will not have the same version of events as I keep saying. And subsequently, Hussein's family was also massacred, murdered, and there was a a what do we have here? Um, someone says here. I vow in the name of Jesus, if you don't leave Hussein alone, you shall never see the light of day until the day of judgment. Uh, you evil, dark people. Um, and it was actually a Christian man, apparently, who decided to sacrifice himself in defense of Hussein uh, by approaching the army of Yazid. So there's been a long history, according to the Shiites, of a connection with Christianity. Um... I am Wahab, the Christian man. I swear by God, Jesus Christ is eager and waiting to meet Hussein in paradise. I swear by the Creator, 
I vow by God who brings rain, I've come to support the grandson of Muhammad and to give my life for him. So there you go. Interesting stuff uh, that's happening here. Um, and then some people mocked and said, is there no Muslim to help Hussein? He is being helped by Christians. Uh, anyway, uh, you can see here, there are photos in here on page 200 of a portrait or a painting of the head of Hussein on, that was taken care of by Christians in Egypt, uh, apparently. So it just continues. We have here... Uh, that Zainab, who took on public relations duties for her family after the tragic massacre, he calls it the tragic massacre, of course, so language does have an effect, as we can see on what people believe. Uh, and the list keeps going on. So we then move into the Islamic conquests, and there's much more detail in here about how how the conquests were run in the same way the, cru uh, the Crusades are explained by many believers in Christianity as being a perversion of the faith and a diversion from the faith whereas some atheists have argued and many other people that the crusades are a direct consequence of having such a faith and people aren't even going to agree on that but you can see the same thing here when we talk about the Islamic conquests we have many many Muslims who don't agree with many of the Islamic conquests and that they were done in the name of Islam, but not by those who really truly believed. And if they truly believed, they would not have uh, committed such massacres and uh, genocide, etc. Uh, once again, I don't know. I'm not a historian. I can only read these type of things. But you can see the same type of disputes. What people believe really does matter. We can see that we have an annihilation of Arabsus. Arabsus was a city that now no longer apparently exists. And... Western Syria was sought after by uh, apparently what he calls um, people who use the name of Islam but weren't really uh, Muslimin. And we see that there was a history of a fight with the Byzantine Empire. This slightly contradicts the history or is inconsistent with the history as described by Dr. Tom Holland, not to be confused with Spider-Man who described the Byzantine Empire being in decline for two reasons. One, because it was being bankrupted during its superpower war with Persia, the war of the two superpowers that both basically collapsed because they were killing each other. And at the same time, uh, the Western Europe uh, trashed Constantinople once on its way in one of its crusades, and I think it was the 13th century, uh, or was it the 12th century, I don't remember. But there was also the trashing of Constantinople by the... Was it the Serbs? I think it was the Serbians sometime in the 13th uh, century as well. So there was a constant fight there and the Byzantine Empire lost a lot of its territory to the, I guess, what is described by Dr. Tom Holland as filling a vacuum. And the vacuum that the new Islamic Empire was, was filling based upon the destruction, destruction and weakening of the, of the Persian and Byzantine Empires. Of course, you know, ultimately, Ottoman Turkey came in in, I think, the 15th century or the late 15th century and ended up running things until the First World War. We have here the invasion of Roman Syria, the invasions of Armenia, the invasion of Egypt, and the invasions of Persia. So, the Persians decided to take back their invaded territories and defeat the Islamic Khanate in the Battle of the Bridge, led by the Persian warrior um, in 634. 
this actually apparently angered the... Uh, there are references for all of these in the book, actually. But this angered the Muslim armies and triggered an even greater massacre of the Persian people, which commenced on the 13th of the following holy month of Ramadan, coinciding with April 635. So, we have here hundred thousand people dying it's it's just it's just crazy uh, this bloodbath now it says here allah you did not reward this wealth to your prophet and he was closer to you and loved by you more than i neither did you reward this wealth to khalif abu bakr and he was closer and loved by you more than i and you gave it to me this is what khalif umar said uh, apparently this was quoted uh, so, yeah, as we can see, there was an alliance between the Persian king uh, Yazidgird and to seek an alliance with Emperor Heraclius of the Roman Empire in 635. Now, I remember Heraclius. Heraclius was someone who secretly went, I think, uh, Heraclius, I actually think, was, was Armenian in descent. You might have to check that from memory. From There's a book by Dr. Tom Holland called In the Shadow of the Sword, I think, where he describes Heraclius, who was able to successfully use every single resource uh, of the uh, Byzantine Empire to go and destroy um, much of the Persians in a very successful war. He also, I believe, massacred somewhere up to 10,000 Jews in Edessa, I think it was, Edessa, um, somewhere in modern-day Turkey or Greece. I don't actually know at the moment. So it's not as if the Byzantines were any better in many respects. We have the invasion of Iraq, and then the truth about Palestine. I thought that was that was quite interesting to read. The truth about Palestine, page 217. It talks about the difference between Palestine being occupied by people of the Muslim faith versus it being a land denominated by religion itself. He talks about the Jewish people and how there is a long and continued history um, historical chain as far back as human history allows us to explore and he also talks about apparently uh, the defecating in direction of Israel by uh, the prophet Muhammad and uh, there was also an interesting thing about many many toilets uh, do not face Mecca, so that when people defecate, they're not defecating in the direction of uh, Mecca, which I thought was quite interesting, something I didn't actually know. Uh, there was also, it discusses the politics at the time of even Christians and Jews in Palestine, who many of whom apparently were, um, were not as happy with the Byzantine Empire's rule. But it does say here that he does not, Dr. Tahir doesn't recognize uh, the caliphate that forced that, that uh, forced Christians and Jews to pay the Islamic uh, tax or the jizya system. Uh, apparently it was adopted when Islam was still a minority religion in the region. So it allowed that to become quite successful um, at the time. Now... Is this brutal and horrific and horrendous? Yes. Is it different to Rome doing the same thing to Europe? Some people say it is. I don't think so. I know that Rome did it and paid tribute to its own gods at the time. 
I guess the major difference is that the remnants of, well, people of the Islamic faith have are, are ascribers to a faith that people who did these things also ascribe to. So there is a continuation of that faith, not not turning into a mythology as the Roman gods, as what happened to the Roman gods and the Greek gods. And, well, Christianity in part has become mythology too, to many people in the West. And it hasn't yet happened to this particular faith. Now, the internal conflicts and rise of ruthless murderers, that's exactly what you expect in every single place where power becomes absolute and controlled by the few it then splits up and people start to fight and kill each other this happened even in an unrelated situation in spain uh, in islamic spain in the seventh century of its existence and i think that was somewhere around the 1400s where was well, somewhere between the 11th and the 15th century or the 14th century in spain the islamic empire had also fractionated with each sort of subgroup wanting to achieve power and backstab each other person, which is still happening even today in Iran and in many other parts of the world. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a human story of people trying to take power for themselves. And so that did happen, absolutely. Now, does belief make it worse? Well, I think belief in general, without being able to investigate something, whether it's in or outside of a religion, makes it worse, absolutely. Uh, now we talk about the Umayyad dynasty and the Abbasian dynasty, which went from 750 to 1517. And it's a constant uh, revolt and revolution um, type of scenario. This hasn't stopped. Uh, so that's... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite... It's quite depressing. We have here the Golden Age of Islam, which is discussed in a bit of detail. The idea of the Golden Age of Islam is rejected by Dr. Tawhidi. What I, what I did find, though, is that some of the critiques by what we would call Islamic extremists are something that many of us in the West actually agree with. So we agree, many of us, that we in the West have... We don't have an agreed-upon morality... And we don't acknowledge that there is a problem with how we talk to each other, both within and without, or and within and exterior to sexual discourse or sexual interactions. We haven't dealt with it in a way that is successful thus far. We're trying and we're doing amazing things, of course, but it doesn't stop the fact that. Uh, in the West, we have, unfortunately, we, you know, as in many other parts of the world as well, but we still have things like sexual slavery. Um, we have illegal prostitution. We haven't been able to figure out in Australia. I think legally it's been running quite successfully, but in many other parts of the Western world, it, it hasn't. Um, it's not spoken about. It, there's a taboo on the subject. Uh, there's a lot of drug addiction. Um, which I think is related to the fact that people don't have meaning in their lives in the West, or not enough meaning. And these things are correctly identified by enemies of the West. And they are used to say to justify the hatred of the West. And once again, that is human beings taking the worst 
of a group and judging the whole group. And so whenever you do that, whenever you say, I don't like apples because I had one apple and it was disgusting, to me, that is the same method of thinking. It, that just has less of a consequence because if you don't eat apples, well, it's not as bad as if you think that all Western people are evil or all Arabs are evil or something like that. Okay. Uh, so what have we got here? The West does not bring us any good. Apparently, um, Dr. Ibrahim Abu Muhammad the Grand Mufti of Australia, or used to be, in 1995, the West does not bring us any, bring to us any good. All they bring are their diseases, their designs, and their shortcomings. Now, uh, he also said, modern women wanted, sorry, modern society wanted women with legs and arms exposed, filling the shopping malls and the streets, competing for the glimpses of men. I thought that that, that made me pause and think that is clearly a hyperbolization. It's clearly broad brushing. It's clearly bigoted. And yet, it is based upon observations. And these are observations that are correct. It's not that his conclusion is correct, but the observations are correct. That we do have people who can dress the way they want to dress. And freedom of dress and freedom of wear is a beautiful thing. But as a consequence, yes, you will have some people who will decide to dress in such a way that is, say, that wants people to bring up the subject of sexual discourse, of sexual interaction, uh, for good and for bad reasons. It doesn't really matter, but we haven't had this conversation properly. What we do is we shut other people down, we judge other people, either they're... Either they're you know, sexually deviant, or we call them sexually deviant, or we say that they're sexual prudes, or we, we call people, uh, you know, other names, or sexist, or racist, etc., all these type of things, as opposed to having actual discussions about what it is that we want in our society. And these are actual problems, but it allows, us having these problems allows other people to identify those problems and blame us in, as existing for those problems existing. It's sort of like saying there wouldn't be any AIDS if no one had sex. Well, that's probably true to a certain extent as well. Um, okay. Uh, now, there's much more information about the different caliphates. Now, we have the caliphate of Ahmadiyya Islam. And Ahmadiyya Islam is the one I was just talking about before, where they described, apparently, some people describe, here we have... Um, all the intricate fabrications and devious methods employed by the Christians to hinder the purifying influence of Islam and the efforts made to spread them by the utmost exertion and by the spending of money like water, so much so that most disreputable means, the details of which are best omitted to avoid tainting this book, have been fully used to this end. These are the crafty activities of the Christians and the believers in the Trinity. All right. So, Western wizardry, um, it needs to be freed. People need to be freed from Western wizardry. Um, God has shown the true Muslims uh, the miracle of the raising of his servant to fight his opponents, etc., etc. Uh, the waxen idol made by the Western enchantment may be smashed. So, it's natural for some people to hear that in the West and think, oh, I can't believe Muslims say this, when in fact it was the Ahmadiyyin that said this. So not all Muslims say that, but the Ahmadiyyin do say that. Some people in the West say things to different degrees. And even if they did or they didn't, the point is that it's if you don't live in the West, 
it's easy to jump to that conclusion based upon seeing the negative parts of the West. In the same way that many people might notice that a lot of suicide bombings come from certain parts of the world and then they say, I don't want to go to that whole part of the world because I'm afraid I might get blown up or I don't want anyone assorting with someone of that entire religion when in fact it's almost exclusively one particular subset of that religion. But Christians can see this in their own denominations. When they, when they say, oh, Catholics aren't really Christians, we the Baptists are Christians. Or Catholics will say, Protestants aren't really Christians, Christians they've misunderstood the Bible. And then you'll have moderates within each denomination that say, look, whatever, you believe in Jesus, I don't really know, be a good person. And that type of thing is exactly what you would expect in many other places. Now, of course, hardcore Christianity, some people say, oh, we don't see Christians blow people up. Well, no, we do, we do actually. Not Nowhere near as many, absolutely, because the beliefs are different. What we do see is many more Christians against stem cell research or embryonic stem cell research because they believe that life or some of them believe that life begins at conception and so and i'm not here to argue against them at this point my point is to elaborate on certain beliefs to show how analogous they are and how destructive they can be for people who don't share those beliefs so if you don't believe life begins at conception then you see embryonic stem cell research as a solution for alzheimer's parkinson's childhood leukemia for cancer uh, and for, uh, you know, Hodgkin's and, and many other disorders that I don't even know about. But if you are a Christian, then you'll say, no, 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 we can't do that because we're killing a soul. But then you look at the Islamic faith and say, oh, how can they decide to, you know, blow people up when in fact it's, it's only a specific subset and the ones who do believe that are honestly, you know, well, forget all of the being misled and the political socioeconomic issues. But the belief is that, you know, the way to get the paradise um, for some, for some, is by dying for the sake of Allah. Now, if you are taught as a young person that killing innocent people that you that your instructor has defined as guilty, um, as falling under the description of dying for the sake of Allah, or you know, qitala fi sabilillah, or al maut fi sabilillah, then you are going to do that because if you as long as you're alive you're afraid that you'll be in going to the the fires of hell if you have a legitimate fear of that then you're going to do everything you can to avoid that some people believe that the way to do that is by believing in Christ some do that by um just praying five times a day or you know um quoting the shahada or some people might decide a very small amount uh to go and you know, commit what we see as murder for those of us who are outside of this situation. For those of you who don't know, my auntie and her children were murdered in a suicide bombing. And so I don't talk about this lightheartedly. I take it very seriously when I when I think about these topics. I've been thinking about these for many, 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 many years. Many years. Uh, and it doesn't mean I'm correct, by the way. It means that whatever I'm saying, I've thought about quite a fair bit. Um, as opposed to just speaking, uh, you know, out of one's backside, which I'm not saying anyone here who li who's listening does that. Uh, I'm gonna end. I'm gonna end it here. The next time, what I'll do is I'll talk about ethno-statism, ethno-nationalism, which has been a murderous rampage in Iran at the moment. Of course, it's happening in many other places too. Ethno-nationalism, uh, we have seen in the version of say, you know, the few thousand white supremacists that we see in the current Western world. Um, it's not as pervasive as uh, 
some people on my side politically like to think, but it's still real. It's still real, and we have to be careful of that. It doesn't mean that, once again, you don't blame all white people. So it's the same deal, the broad brush thing. Uh, it is a subset of that. But we'll talk about that and ethno-nationalism uh, and ethno-Shiism uh, particularly. Uh, in the next review but it was good to talk to you all and if you have any comments let me know let me know your thoughts as always it's a pleasure to talk to you until next time don't forget to take life one smack at a time boom